Merry Christmas. Shitter's full. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation coming up next. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Hey there, listener, and welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, ho, 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 la, 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 tis the season to be stupid, as this podcast can attest. Uh, This week, we're going to delve right into National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, because uh, the thesis here is, why is it such a holiday classic? It's, you know, been around since 1989. It's the third film in the Vacation series starring Chevy Chase. Uh, Randy Quaid shows up as Cousin Eddie. It's written by John Hughes. So it's got all of the earmarks of a holiday romp. But instead, what we get is something that we don't particularly care for. We delve, we dive, we get into it. But if you like Christmas Vacation, that's great. We just don't happen to be in agreement with you. Uh, for various reasons that we will explore in this episode. By and large, it's a passable Christmas movie. It ticks off all the boxes and develops some of the tropes that even the Hallmark Channel has just beaten to death. And so we can't fault it. It's got holiday vibes. It's very Christmassy. It's just not the movie for us for various reasons. And so send us your hate mail if you uh, think we've just overstepped our bounds and are a bunch of Grinchy, Scroogey types. But I guarantee you that's not the case. We like the holiday. We just don't like this movie. And so we explore why. We try to have a a -a tete-a-tete as to what's dead inside of us that uh, we don't get it. So Christmas Vacation gets its due this week on the program. So if you like what you hear, send us some hate mail to magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. You can catch us over there on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. We are on, uh, you know, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. And then uh, head on over to our website, maghuge.com, where you find all the links and things. So we invite you to share the show, like the show, rate the show, uh, review the show, or just give us a lump of coal in our stocking for the way that we just mistreat National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So Merry Christmas, shitter's full. The Green Bays have been skinned alive. <laughs> See you Holiday at the party, Rico. <laughs> Holiday roll. Oh, God, shut up. Please, for the love of God, shut up. Please. I hate up. that oh. fucking movie because I got that song stuck in my head all week. Ever since last week when we did Beverly Hills Cop and we had to yeah. watch this thing, seven whole days mm. later, I have this song still stuck in my head. <laughs> well, fun fact, uh, Holiday Road doesn't actually show up in Christmas Vacation at all. I know, but just hearing <laughs> Vacation makes me hear, you know. Yeah, right? That Lindsay Buckingham's yeah. ode to, this song is just six words long. Yeah, Holiday Road. <laughs> Uh, yeah i just we can get into it but i am for the love of me can't figure out why christmas vacation is such a classic now and uh it it irritates we'll get into it i have so many notes okay good i'm so glad so what have you guys been doing for the last uh week oh for the frosh married i think i've got some fresh shit okay this shit is fresh Chris, do you have any fresh shit? Uh, I've got very little, but uh, it's been watching the new season of Bob's Burgers on the Hulu, which you can watch, I guess, regularly on FX or Fox. One of those. Uh, I don't think either of you have ever watched Bob's Burgers, if I remember correctly. I watched like the first episode, and (laughs) it didn't grab me the way it has clearly grabbed you. You got to write it for the hall because it's very character driven humor and it's just freaking hilarious and uh i love i like it so much more than the simpsons if i'm being honest uh but well i haven't watched the simpsons in like years 25 years oh you mean when it when it stopped being funny yeah me too i'm with you uh (laughs) but bob's burgers is uh part of the team that did home movies uh so it's got sort of that weird uh, very dry 
children are funny, but only because they're not weirdos kind of a thing. I don't know how to explain it. It's mm-hmm. just they don't they don't punch down and treat the children like just uh, like joke machines. They have their own personalities and they're very well developed and it's just fun to watch. Uh, so it's still good. 11th season, I think they're on now and it's still rolling strong. So anything with H. John Benjamin doing a voice is all right in my book. Is he also the voice of Dr. Girlfriend on uh, Venture Brothers? Mm, no, he's the voice on Venture Brothers. He's the voice of uh, the the master guys, uh, like interdimensional demonic uh, boss. Ah, okay. Yeah. Like, who always takes the, the presence. Yeah. H. John Benjamin does Archer. Uh, yeah. He was coach on home movies. For some he's reason, just, I always think that he's the voice of Dr. Girlfriend, which was one of the funniest characters on that show. I th- I think that's, uh, I don't think it's Jackson Public. I think it's the other guy that does Venture Brothers is like voicing that Dr. Mm. Girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, honey, come over <laughs> here. Let me give you a hug. <laughs> Who wants to make love? I mean, yes, it's awesome. I love Dr. Crow. The monarch! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, it's good time. So, home movies is still cranking them out, and that's good. And then, just uh, just out of happenstance, uh, we have a, an app called Acorn, which does a lot of like the British shows, because my wife loves that sort of stuff. Especially the mystery thing. She's really into like the Poirot series and whatever mm. but there's one uh called Dogleash. it sounds like Dogleash, but it's like a scottish name called Doglish. and uh <laughs> it's it's set in the mid 70s and it's just murder mystery stuff but set in the really dour 70s where everybody dresses terribly and uh it's it's not bad but i'm i gotta give it a few more episodes to see if i like it because these kind of shows are not really my thing I mean, you've seen one detective show, you've seen them all, and it's just ho-hum. But the way the BBC does them is they're so dry. It's like literally, like, here's your detective, and he's going to just ask questions and do this. And <laughs> you'll follow the procedural, and then like suddenly it's like all the evidence presents itself, and he solves the case, but not in a very flashy manner. It's just all yeah. very like, that's not exciting at all. But by God, I was so entertained. <laughs> it's just so that's, weird. That's why Luther was such a big hit. Was that yeah. shit actually happened? And it's also the oh, reason yeah. why mm-hmm. in England people look down on Luther as being like, it's Too so American. American. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> shit true. happens. What yeah. is this? I mean, it's that, that, that masterpiece theater sort of uh, curse, I guess. You have to be very dry and reserved. and Well, it's Hercule Perrault. Everything is uh, Agatha Christie like yeah. based. It's kind of like that, yeah. But these are based on novels by P.D. James. And so they're very, mm. very much of that uh, genre. But it's always like the, you know, the character's got a lot of skeletons in his closet. And they kind of just slowly draw out his past as the show goes on. So it's, it's, a, sim- so, it's a simmer, not a boil. 70s BBC, so production style-wise, are we talking like 70s Doctor Who, 70s no, Blackadder, like oh, no, no. the on-set soap it, opera it, looking? It's not made in the 70s, it's set in the 70s, so it's... Oh, it's okay. mod- I mod- thought it was actually from the no. 70s, and it was just incredibly boring. No, okay. no, no, it's actually done with, <laughs> with 21st century production value uh, very well. It's very slick, and uh, the... The setting is is nice, and you can tell that they put a lot of care into it. No, it's not like the '70s BBC where it's like, oh, we'll we'll just do it on video because it's right. cheaper, and then it'll look like somebody just did a home movie in their backyard, but it cost us five million pounds. I mean, it's like not not that kind of thing. But it's uh, if anybody's out there and wants a new mystery show, Doglish, it's uh, it's passable. Hmm. I'll I'll give it a thumbs up for now until <laughs> it's not bad, Chris Ryers. <laughs> well, I mean, my wife also watches uh, mark. like other stuff, like yeah. uh, a show called Shakespeare and Hathaway, which is actually a detective show. It's sort of a lighter detective show, but it's based in uh, the Shakespeare's hometown, the Butch and Medilly, Avon, blah blah blah, Stratford on Avon. Yeah, it's the one. I totally brain farted that. Uh, and you've got. Uh, a, an ex-cop named Hathaway, who's now a detective, and then you find out his backstory, he got sort of railroaded out of the force. 
but he's got a lot of friends and connections. And then he teams up with a woman whose last name is Shakespeare, and I think she's somehow tangentially a relative of Shakespeare's, uh, but it's never really addressed. And then they become like this mismatched pair of detectives who solve crimes in Stratford-on-Avon. And it's just, it's like, it's breezy, it's dumb. Uh, it's a good, you know, hour to just kill. Uh, and then there's a different one called Agatha Raisin that, she, that my wife likes. And that's the actress who was in, uh, did you ever watch the show Ugly Betty when it was on? Yeah. No, uh, I'm aware of it. She's the Scottish woman from Ugly Betty. Yeah. Or if you've ever seen the show Extras with Ricky Gervais, she was his friend, his Scottish friend and extras. Uh, but she's sort of a sassy Scottish woman that solves crimes as well. I mean, it's just like there's a trend. It's like you go from like straight up Poirot, uh, then you get like Rockford type characters and then like Barnaby Jones. It's like, well, I'm a doctor, but I also happen to be a private eye. I mean, it's those kind of things. So it's it's just very dry BBC. And it's just I always kill. Yeah, I find it odd. The number of people who die every week in England on these murder <laughs> right? shows. It's like, it's like yeah. they don't need gun laws. They need knife, poison, and like, like yeah. bare wire on lamp laws because they'll find yeah. a way to fucking kill you. Oh, they will. Well, I mean, it's like. And if there weren't so many geniuses in England <laughs> to figure it out, they'd be fucked. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like, uh, makes me think of Murder, She Wrote almost in a way. Because it's like, here's a show about a woman who writes mystery novels that somehow knows how to solve them because she's written yeah. so many. And it's yeah. like, like the big joke now, it's like, well, you know, Jessica Fletcher actually killed all those people. And she's yeah. just using her job as the mystery that writer. Was, as the- that was a spec <laughs> script of Monk I wrote. Where yeah. uh, Jessica Fletcher was coming to San Francisco to do a book signing, and the entire San Francisco Police yeah. Department goes on alert because they're like, yeah. "Oh shit, she's gonna kill somebody." What are you talking about? She's just a mystery writer. No, no. She every time she shows up, somebody dies. Yeah, and they end up like you know, Monk and ends up you know proving she did it. But uh, the character, the William Wyndham character, the best friend, you know dopey guy ends up taking the fall for her because he's in love with her and he's always yeah. you know it's like if you know murder she wrote you know that guy had a yeah. hard on for jessica Fletcher, well this is but- this is my pitch i would love to see like a like a comedy version of murder she wrote come to the big screen wherein that's the conceit is that she's actually a raving psychopath who manages to be yeah. so canny and you get somebody like kate mckinnon to play Jessica Fletcher, so it's just going to be like <laughs> full on over the top, just ridiculous. And then you can get like Will Ferrell and other people in there as the cast of characters around her. I think that would be yeah. sweet, uh, you know. But uh, that's just my dream casting. But yeah, so I've been steeped in BBC mystery bullshit, and it's a uh, uh, it's a blast from that. It's like it's comfort food. It makes me feel like I'm in my teens again, watching masterpiece theater. So <laughs> carry on. Uh. Uh, All right, you you watched masterpiece theater in 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 your teens. Yeah, before I started having sex with actual girls and like listening to real music and. I was going to say, how did you get laid in your teens and I didn't? Oh yeah, that's right. I'm me. That's why. Stopped watching masterpiece theater. That was the trick. Yeah, because I was walking around in my teens, going, "Will you have sex with me for Christ's sake?" No. Okay. Moving on. But but first, would you like to watch Yes Minister? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it works every time. Okay. Continue. Continue. (laughs) I can go, or Eric, if you're chomping at the bit, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So there was a a documentary series on the BBC uh, called Jamie Drag Queen at 16, which is about this kid in Sheffield who, you know, wanted to dress and drag. And it turned into a stage musical called Everybody's Talking About Jamie, which was turned into a film called Everybody's Talking About Jamie. That's what I watched was the third thing. It's on Amazon Mm. and it's a musical about this kid in Sheffield, this, you know, working class, you know, town who wants to be a drag queen and the kind of shit you run. It's the kind of thing that uh, the guy who does Glee would have like, would have murdered several people to be able to make because it's like right in his wheelhouse. Uh, It's very well done. 
it's the musical numbers aren't that great. I mean, the music I don't think was that great, but it's directed by this guy. What's it? Jonathan Butterell. He's never made a film before, and it is the most amazing-looking film. There is a part where everything is in black and white, and at one point. He basically shoots the same thing with all the blacks as white and all the whites as black so that he can super fast intercut between them. It is amazing looking. Um, yeah, it's it's worth watching for, I guess, the way it's made and how well it's done. It's got the same message of, you know, stop shitting on people just because they're choosing their own identity. But it's it's worth watching. It's a good it's a good film. Um I'll check it out. I'm always up for a good musical. Yeah. What's What's would, really f- great? What uh, uh, like an, a real standout is Richard <clears throat> E. Grant as uh, Loco Chanel, a former drag queen. Loco <laughs> Chanel, great name. Oh hell yes. Okay. And, now we're and, getting somewhere. Yeah. Who Who sort of mentors our our kid? You know, on how to not come out, but how to process. You know, this and, 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 you know, he has this great history of having been a, um, a drag queen and they, they show, oh, he, he pops in a VHS tape from back in the day and it goes into this sequence, a musical number, but a sequence, uh, and the actor is John McRae, who plays the young version of Richard E. Grant. John McRae was in, um, uh, 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 never mind. He was, in, he was in something else. But anyway, I'm watching this and I'm going, wait, the young version of him has got so much presence. And they just, what is this person doing in a almost non-speaking, just, you know, quick thing? Well, he's the guy who plays the kid in the original stage production. And uh. it's like, it's like, the sequence is so well done because it all looks like it's shot on videotape. And they the, the two characters of the kid and Richard E. Grant keep showing up in it because they're watching it but it's i don't know it's like the guy who directed this had such a an amazing eye for film and doing stuff you've never seen before and going oh fuck that works that just absolutely works hmm. i would love to hear uh brian's take on it if he watches it and compare it to anna versus the apocalypse or whatever that one was called cruella the guy was in cruella <laughs> oh, that's okay. it okay and Richard E. Grant, I will just say this, if, if you see one Richard E. Grant movie above all others, uh, make sure it's how to get ahead in advertising. He is mm. just spot on, just loses his nut in that one in just the biggest <laughs> way. He goes insane, yeah. and it is so funny. <laughs> he's, also, he's also really good in that, I can't remember the name of it right now, in the movie with Michelle McCartney where she plays a, a fraud. Um, oh, oh, the, damn it, the, boss? the boss? The boss? No, 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 no. The one where she steals uh, uh, Jason Bateman's identity. Oh. No, not the identity thief. St. <laughs> no, Vincent? the good movie she was in. Ah, uh, uh, I got shit. you. Shit, I, I, it's like, I, if you the, see the name a, of it's like a big apology yeah. of some kind. Oh, uh, if you see a second Richard E. Grant film, see With Nail and I, and see if you can yeah. explain to me why it's funny, because I don't get it. I don't have time. But uh, yeah, can you ever forgive me? Is the name of the movie I'm okay. trying to think of. That's that's the one to see. Yeah. Richard but E. Grant you... is also the only good thing about the last Star Wars film. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what he's not good in, uh, Warlock. But that's another story for another day. With that's with what that's that stellar epic film. He wasn't good in it. <laughs> uh, no, Jesus, no. Yeah. <laughs> Hudson Hawk. Okay, yeah, okay, we'll enough, just, we'll just start enough Richard yeah. E. Grant, I think. Continue, yeah. continue. Yep, okay. <laughs> what else you got, Eric? No, that was it. Okay, well, I too watched a new musical on a streaming service from a first-time film director. Interesting. I watched Tick, Tick, Boom on Netflix. Oh, um, interesting. Who's in that one? Tick, Tick, tick Yeah, tick, that's boom. right, Andrew Garfield. Yeah, yeah that's the one it was. Andrew Garfield... As Jonathan Larson, Jonathan Larson, who wrote the musical Rent. And this is Tick, Tick, Boom, also by Jonathan Larson, which is a was originally a one-man show done by Jonathan Larson about how his previous effort to write a musical called Superbia was a failure. And Tick, Tick, Boom is the 
telling of the failure of Superbia and also intercut with performances of not quite the one-man show version of Jonathan Larson's Tick, Tick, Boom, but rather a reading with a couple other people singing in, in a band. Um, boy, okay, so this is Broadway <laughs> crawling right up its own ass. Um, directed, so, by, uh, directed by Hamilton. Interesting. Yeah, directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, <clears throat> Script by um, whoever the guy wrote, J- Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, okay. God. And, this has got all and of that. Ugh. There's a scene that takes place in the diner that, um, that Jonathan Larson works in that has this song called Sunday, and it is sung by everyone from Broadway ever. Like, there are so many cameos in this scene. It's got Joel Grey, it's got Bebe Newworth, it's got Bernadette Peters, it's got much of the original cast of Rent. What about um, Carol Cheney? You know, I think she's not alive. Is she? I don't know. But <laughs> it anyway. It doesn't matter. You can bring her back. Um, yeah, so it's like this huge, like, a bunch of old people <laughs> from Broadway singing this song. Um, so this is basically just the guy that did Rent. This is like his version of uh, all that jazz is, is what it sounds like. <laughs> it, it's his version of I'm a struggling artist and nobody appreciates me. Okay. And all of his music is so on the nose. I don't know if that's the directing or the music or both, but like everything is so fucking literal. And all I can hear in the back <laughs> of my head is the joke from Team America yeah. World Police about rent with everyone's got AIDS. Mm. AIDS, 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 of Jonathan Larson's music, although there is one standout song, it's called Therapy, and it's performed uh, by Andrew Garfield and Vanessa Hutchins. They're, it's part of the I'm presenting the show version of it, and it's just this couple um, talking about their inner monologue and their feelings about how their relationship is screwed up, and it's it just escalates and escalates and get faster and faster until they're both saying all their shit over each other and not listening to each other, and that's a great song. I was wrong to say you were wrong to say I was wrong about you being wrong when you rang to say that the ring was the wrong thing to ring. If I meant what I said when I said ring for me, I'm not mad that you got mad when I got mad when you said I should go drop dead. If I were you and I done what I done, I'd do what you did when I gave you the ring, having slept what I said. I feel bad that you feel bad about me, but in general. I mean, I liked it. I I don't think it... I, I liked In the Heights more um, than this. I get where we're coming from. Like, all these people really respect Jonathan Larson and want to do right by him. The dude died, like, the day Rent opened on Broadway, or, like, the day before. He never actually got to see Rent open on Broadway. Um, he, Good. Good. Because... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him for missing out on that because yeesh. So he really only has those three works, a superbia, tick, tick, boom, and rent. And, you know, he's sitting there getting all angsty at the beginning about how he's he's about to turn 30 and he hasn't done anything and Sondheim was already big by the time he was 30. And I'm like, you know, I watched another self-absorbed guy get upset about turning 30 in the form of Bo Burnham in Inside, and boy, that was better. Um, (laughs) Sure, but did he write Rent? No. No. No, he did not. Yeah. Um, I liked Tick, Tick, Boom. It was good, but I don't know if I like Jonathan Larson. Uh, And it's about Jonathan Larson 100%, and so it's like... Well, how is uh, eh. how is Garfield? Does he acquit himself okay? He he does all right. He actually he actually took a year of singing lessons and learned to sing to do this part. Really, hmm. and he's not the best singer by a long shot in in the show, but he gets he gets by. And okay. I've read other reviews, and they say, look, Larson himself wasn't a great singer. That's that's fine. You know, he's doing a decent job of being Larson. They actually show. Okay footage of Larson doing tick tick boom during the credits and and that that really kind of drove home okay yeah he did a good job (laughs) 
Do you think? Do you think that was a conscious choice to put that in there because they knew people would be like, "This guy sucks." So <laughs> no, I think they did it because this whole thing is a sloppy love letter to Jonathan Larson. Okay, um, that's so weird. Because I I didn't know anything about it. I saw like a blurb in the title and that it had musical. And I thought it was a musical about people being held hostage during like a convenience store ice. <laughs> <laughs> what an awesome idea for a no. play. Yeah, like like this... like SF <laughs> like SFW as a musical. Yeah. So so the thing about it is it's it's about Lin Manuel Miranda wanting to pay tribute to Larson, right? Like specifically, you know, Larson was. I guess transformative of what a Broadway show could be through Rent. You know, it was it was sort of like King and I and Oklahoma and that kind of thing. You know, you Roger Hammerstein, and then you you get like Sondheim, and and you know you get Sundays in the Park with George and Fussy, Fussy, and Fussy. Really, Rent like, is the sort of yeah, Rent is sort of the modern thing right? coming through, and that's what Miranda saw as a teenager and goes, oh my god, I want to do that, and that's why this exists. Right before Rent came out, I think the big deal was Sunset Boulevard, which was yet another um, what's his name? Uh, Sun- I don't know who did Sunset Boulevard off the top the of my fucking, head. The fucking, guy, the guy uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know? Mm. Oh, oh, that's right, Lloyd Webber was around too, yeah. Just, and it's like, even if, even if people like Andrew Lloyd Webber, at some point, you go, enough yeah <laughs> i just remember when fan of the opera was the big deal for like ever and nobody would shut up oh. about it and it was oh like, my yeah. god go god. go watch go watch Lindsay ellis's recent video on the sequel to phantom of the opera that lord weber did <laughs> called love never dies <laughs> go check that out that's that's a great uh takedown of okay. oh man anyway yeah. I mean, you know, it's hard to beat Starlight Express if you're really going to get to the nitty gritty. No, it's not. No, it's <laughs> okay. really not. Cats? Like, let's go watch Cats. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other thing I watched, uh, started watching at least, uh, is Netflix has a live action version of Cowboy Bebop they've rolled out. Yeah, I don't understand the point of that, honestly. Um, You know what? It's working for me. Okay. Did, um, you, did you watch the anime at all? So... Everyone I know was like, you gotta watch Cowboy Bebop. And I I fired it up once and watched it with my wife and I think it's it didn't we watched the first episode. It's a slow burn. And it's she was burn. just like, I don't I'm not digging it and so we didn't really keep going. Um and I felt like, you know, it, Cowboy Bebop is an anime, right? And so it's all very as an anime, the way I at least the first episode of it. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of overacted, especially because it's the dubbing actors, and the and the characters are very caricature-y, right? Like I, I couldn't get over the fact that Spike is like his main character trait is he's hungry all the time, right? And that's <laughs> yeah. just that's so anime. Well, so bring along the live action version, and they're basically just adapting the anime to live action, and it it's aesthetically it kind of reminds me of what was going on with Sin City and Robert Rodriguez, where it's like. Very, very, very stylized, but shot, you know, on a budget. Um, but they, they're, they're pulling out all the stops in terms of candid angles and editing and, and such to, to make it pop and color, especially color. But the thing is that the actors are better, right? So John Cho is Spike, and he is nailing this thing. He is, he's got all of the right poses. He's got the right costume, the right hair. He, um, the fight choreography is surprisingly good, um, hmm. when the, when the stunt teams take over and it's just, you know, it, it's, it's just popping along and my wife's like full on into this and, and yeah, <laughs> he is always hungry, but they don't make it like his defining personality trait. Right? It's just sort of a one-off. Well, do you think like this, if this is a success, will it pave the way for the, uh, or embolden somebody to actually go through again with the the threat of a live action Akira? Uh, I guess I think ghost in the shell pretty much put the nail in that coffin. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Or, uh, what was the one Theron did? Uh, the, from liquid television. God. Oh, Aeon Aeon Flux. Flux. Aeon Flux. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think that you can do the big ultra apocalyptic stories like that on in live action and get i I think alita battle angel may be the best we're going to see of that sort of thing um but um 
as far as I'm aware, Cowboy Bebop, yeah, I mean, yes, it's interstellar, but it's more, you know, it says cowboy right there in the title. It's more of kind of a, you know, a Western, you know, lone lone gunman comes in to the town and, and does this thing once a week, and there are some overarching threads. Does, right, so but, when you watch it, do you kind of uh, see thin connections to what Whedon did with Firefly? Because that's always the feeling I got once Firefly came out. I'm like, some of this is very similar to what they did in Cowboy Bebop. I, I mean, maybe, but but this is so hyper stylized. It's really got its own thing going on. It's not just trying to do live action anime. It's trying to create the same vibe, and they use some anime tricks. But it's not just it's not Speed Racer, right? It's okay. it's really its own funky little thing and it's got a good energy to it 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 moves along the guys the the actors are good the action is solid um i'm in we're in okay i might have to check it out and they've got the same the same uh the same composer doing the music uh so like all the music is is by the people who did tank okay and apparently in japan the the voices are dubbed by the original cast of the of the anime. Ah. <laughs> That's full circle. Full That's circle. good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, so yeah, I give didn't, it a spin. I, see if you like it. I didn't care for Alita Battle Angel either, but I must say I'm glad they found work for that actress who has Sailor Moon eyes. I mean, what else is she going to do with the rest of her life? <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to typecast uh, outside that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the fresh shit. Oh god. Merry Christmas. Shitter's full. That's like the uh, only only line of dialogue that anyone remembers from this fucking yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, a okay. Christmas story had all sorts of wonderful, warm, memorable, fun moments. This has the shitter's full. Yeah. Let's uh Let's just take a roll call really quick. Show of virtual hands. Who among us likes this movie? I can't. That's put my your hands moment any of lower. silence. Yeah, this it's is Christmas vacation. Yeah, it's. Oh, so I'm, I'm putting my hands so low right now. <laughs> it's, it's like fucking. It's movie. touching. It's touching hell. That's how low my it's, hand is. Right it's now. the height. It's sort of the, the 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 not the height. It's right right in the wheelhouse of John. What's his name? Being awful, Hughes. John yeah. Hughes, and his his shittiness. Yeah. So here here's my here's my conundrum, right? Christmas vacation. I I wanted to come into the show saying I don't understand why everyone views this as a holiday classic, but upon you know revisiting at least the bits of it that I did for the show, yeah. Uh, I do understand. It's because yeah. it is better. The 99% of the Christmas movies out there. It's just that all of those movies are so fucking awful. And this, I, at least, is awful, not fucking awful. And I that's, had. That's the I thing. Ha- I had in my head this whole thing of I've got to see what Brian thought of this film because, in my opinion, this film was absolutely aimed at Brian. This film, <laughs> I'm watching true. this. It's true. I'm watching this and I'm going, who, who is this film made for? I don't get it. And I, I said that to my wife, who basically helps me with everything now. I, I'm like, who mm. is this film made for? And she said, middle-aged men. And the more I thought yeah. of it, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's, it's focused on a well-intentioned middle-aged white guy. It's got dad joke level humor all throughout. Like they're all dad jokes. Right. And uh, let's see, the villains, the villains are the next door neighbors who don't have kids and manage to manage to have like very, very happy sort of self-involved lives. So, of course, they're evil. You know, it's 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 totally for middle aged men who are like, yeah, who look at who look at Griswold and say, yeah, that's me. That is me. Well, you know what? And and when you've got young kids or even teenage kids in, the, in as the case would be for this movie i could see that i could see that resonating because it is about like 
how most people in that phase of life experience the holidays, right? It's about, oh, I want it to be good for my kids, and oh, God, I have to put up with these relatives that I've avoided the rest of the year, and all of that stress. Like, I get why people relate to this movie. I'm now at a different phase of my life where that's no longer me, (laughs) and so I get why people like it, and it's not for me anymore. Well, here's the thing for me. I had avoided watching this thing uh almost 30 years well no 30 years mm. exactly uh came out in 1989 and i've seen snippets here and there but i had seen european vacation to know enough not to touch this thing with a 10-foot mm-hmm. pole and so i just avoided it but over the decades it just sort of became this weirdly revered christmas classic and i could never yeah. quite figure out why people because nobody could really explain it it's just sort of like it is and so a few years ago for our office christmas party celebration thing whatever they rented out a theater and they showed christmas vacation assuming that it would just be this sort of like easy everybody's seen it fun thing where we could just kind of have a lark and so that was my first viewing i sat stone-faced through it i felt like there was something desperately (laughs) wrong with me uh, I just didn't get it. And so ever since then, it's stuck in my craw because every year people like come out, oh, I'm, you know, Thanksgiving's here. I'm going to fire up Christmas vacation. And I'm like, I, I don't understand what's going on. I don't. And then I'll go, oh, I get it. I'm not one of the normals. So that makes everything <laughs> very explained in a nutshell right there. That's what yeah. I feel like. Yeah. So full disclosure for folks who don't listen to the show or haven't heard us say it recently neither chris nor eric ever had kids i'm the only one on this show with kids. <laughs> i don't think you need yeah. kids to enjoy this thing i just think it's just no. weird. or life yeah. i don't think you need kids to enjoy life <laughs> how about that i i assure you that they're having plenty uh, if you're choosing not to have kids you have my absolute full support if you're a young guy you haven't had kids yet get that vasectomy don't think twice. Yeah. You're good. I got to Okay, yeah. My my quick little side avenue here, okay? When people tell you, "Oh, it's great having kids. You got to have kids. Oh, it'll be different when you have kids. When are you going to have kids?" I want you to remember that uh roach motels are always full of cockroaches. Not one of those cockroaches ever says to a cockroach walking up to the Roach Motel, get out of here, it's genocide, they're killing us all. No, they always say, "Come on in. It'll be different when you're in the Roach Motel." It's the same thing with kids. <laughs> I want I, you to suffer too. Yeah. That's yes. yes. Okay. I think I think Eric should write the uh internet movie database description of Christmas vacation based on that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Because I look at those hotel of Christmas movies. I look at those Green. neighbors. I look at those neighbors with their CD collection and I go, yeah, them. Yeah. yeah. What are they even doing in this neighborhood? Get a condo. Yeah. Well, uh, it's also <laughs> difficult for me to watch this movie objectively because it's square in the middle of that really awful period of John Hughes movies where he stopped directing and just concentrated more on regurgitating the same screenplay ideas mm-hmm. over and over and producing this nonsense. So when I yeah. watch Christmas Vacation, he's past his prime. Like he peaked with Planes, Trains, and Automobiles as one of the most perfect holiday movies ever. And then he's got this and Home Alone to kind of explore the scene. Why did we watch Planes, Trains, you bastard. Yeah, <laughs> sucker. <laughs> so you've got this, but this feels more like uh, like a Dutch. You know what I mean? This feels more like did you, uh, a movie of that ilk than did you a notice that? Did you notice, though, that the in-law jokes were all like basically, I think, rejected jokes from Sixteen Candles? Like they yes. included the thing with the yes. one mom that smokes and the other mom who goes, ew, ew, ew. Yeah, exactly. I was watching it uh, the other night just as a refresher and it and I was struck by how similar it was to the shit going on in 16 Candles. And that's what I mean. It's like this is the, the weird era of John Hughes where it's just, I've seen mm. this before. This is like the great outdoors. This is like Dutch. This is just those yeah. like, let's hash out the weird family stuff in a supposed comedy but it's like a feel-good PG, PG-13 kind of a thing. So I'll give it this. As a sequel to the movie Vacation, it is the best sequel to the movie Vacation, I think, that exists. I, it's I haven't seen sequel. Vegas. I haven't oh, seen God. Vegas Vacation. Of the, <laughs> of the four Vacation yeah. movies, Cousin Eddie and Family only are not in European Vacation. It, 
they introduce him in vacation. It's good for a lark. It's like, yeah, let's make fun of the, you know, the rural folk and then move on. But by this one and beyond, they lean into it so hard that it's Dude, just off putting. Cousin, Cousin Eddie Christmas vacation yes. too. Yeah. Like in the South <laughs> like in the there. South Seas. It's like, what are you smoking, but, Randy Quaid? You really went nuts, but, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, look, as a Chevy Chase, you know, middle aged dad flipping out, losing his shit, um, trying to make things good for his family, everything goes wrong, and then there's still like the but the the warm your cockles of your heart holiday vibe. I get why the Griswold family works in that in that structure. Yeah. I get why it's a decent vacation movie for Chessie Chase, and he still has to fantasize about un, you know women that are way too young for him for reasons because because it's a he's movie. a middle aged man failure, and he knows it. His big his big success at work is a non nutritive uh, uh, food shellac. So that yeah. you can put it on cereal and not have it get soggy. It's like you look at something like that and you go, yeah, that typifies my horrible job and my meaningless existence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his whole thing in this one is he just wants to use that bonus money to put a pool in for his family. And it's like, yeah. okay, great. I mean, but just the whole thing is built around, okay, the in-laws show up and then bedlam ensues because nobody gets along because everybody's family is crazy. It's like, ho, ho, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, I just, ugh. Because the first vacation came out, like, what, 83? I saw it in the theater. We actually did it as a family trip, and it's it doesn't hold up as well today, but it still has a lot of uh, basic truths about being stuck with your family on a road trip for a week, and you can just right. see the decay in Clark Griswold as shit just starts going wrong. That's sort of muted in this one to a degree because it's really just, he has such high expectations for the holiday that aren't met. And he just sort of becomes uh, just an asshole. And I just don't, so, I don't like this Clark. Apparently Hughes actually, this is derived from the first vacation was derived from an article he wrote um, for National Lampoon magazine. Yeah. It was like vacation 56 or something like that. And this was, Christmas 59 was a follow-up to that, so he's actually adapting his own uh, short story, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, f- and turning it into the, the Griswold family. Yeah. Um, another fun fact about this movie is apparently it is directly to blame for the existence of Home Alone. What <laughs> a, 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 Apparently, yeah. Chris Columbus was attached to direct Christmas Vacation, and could not work with Chevy Chase, like could not stand Chevy Chase. Yeah. And yeah, was like, story no, is career. I'm out. And, and Hughes is like, okay, I, I've got this other Christmas movie you might find interesting and showed him the Home Alone script yeah. and that's well, how that happened. I mean, I know this may sound like heresy among us, but uh, Home Alone is a thousand times better than Christmas Vacation as a movie. As ridiculous yeah. and cartoonish as it is, it is still, it's just- It's contained. Yeah, it's contained. It has it has a direction. It doesn't yeah. waste like it, it, it. I don't feel like there's wasted time in Home Alone. Yeah. In this, I feel like there's nothing but wasted time. Yeah, it's literally Home it's Alone, like yeah. I don't it's know. It's like that I've I know what's going to happen Alone. in this film. Yeah, I, I think the last time I saw Home Alone was in the theater in like 1991 or some junk. But I can see why Home Alone is a great movie for like 11 year old kids. Right, who yeah. like want their family to leave them with the house, and yeah. then feel like they could like I can see why that's a great movie for kids. Well, but but comparing I, comparing this yeah. movie to comparing this movie to Home Alone though is like comparing this movie to The First Vacation. It's yeah. a first time out. It's got a specific direction, and it succeeded mm-hmm. because it wasn't referencing something else. Yeah, I guess, but it's just uh, there's so much wrong with this one because it's just so aimless it's like like you said eric yeah. it's like everything just seems like it's a setup for the next gag and then it's totally forgotten to move on to the next gag and so on and yeah. so on and so on so it's not like like christmas story which is just a bunch of vignettes strung together but that one works as a story because it's it's all anchored al- along a very specific through line Whereas yeah. it's missing in this one. It's sort of like, this is what happens when Ralphie grows up and becomes a terrible person. That's kind of what Christmas Vacation feels like to me. I just, I, it's just so I had this, I have this, this just, this psychotic idea. <laughs> what if, okay, 
there's a producer. Let's 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 imagine a producer who uh, Chevy Chase gets along with, right? Uh, <laughs> let yeah. Chevy okay. Chase. Already. Yeah. Let Ch- okay. This guy produces a film. Chevy Chase can direct it, and it would just basically be him doing Harold Lloyd type gags the entire time. <laughs> there isn't a specific through line. It's like those old silent films where it was like a guy going through his yeah. day and weird shit happening. Because the physical comedy is actually interesting to look at. When he is trying to put up the Christmas lights, I'm I'm into what I am seeing at the moment. There's no story, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. interesting watching him like f- almost fall off the ladder but hit the tree or staple his wrist to the house. It's like, yeah, just that. Just I, I like when that. he gets the the ladder, the attic ladder to the face. It's like three seconds of film time, but it's probably the funniest moment in the entire movie. (laughs) Yeah, maybe maybe Chevy Chase was right. Chris Columbus was the wrong guy. Just let him, don't even write a story. Don't even have dialogue. Just have a guy walking around, getting popped in the face with shit and almost falling off of things. Because that's really what he does. Well, I mean, but see, Chris Columbus made that movie and it was called Home Alone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what I'm saying. It's like you you can kind of see the the Hughes DNA all over it, but like uncle buck came out the same year, like three or four months earlier. And uncle buck itself Mm. is such a better family film, uh, overall. And the jokes click. And it's just, it's like, this is sort of like all the leftovers that Hughes had that didn't really know what to do with. That's, I mean, it's just, it's a strange beast of a movie. And that's why I don't understand why people love it. The first, again, the first vacation at its heart was about a guy who's like, dissatisfied with his family life and is trying to make it work and in the end finds a way to make it work uh home alone is you know a kid who i don't know i don't know what the fuck that one's about but it's like all of john hughes's films have some yeah even uncle buck you know it's it's him connecting with his nephew and niece you know on some real level specifically the girl who hates him yeah it's like there's always this very human Mm -hmm. non-comedy connection that makes it work this has none of that no and he's not helping just a gag reel yeah i mean he's and he's surround the the chevy chase is surrounded by a very good cabal of actors i mean e.g marshall e.g marshall Marshall is his father-in-law for christ's sake what is he doing in this (laughs) doris robert shows up as his mother-in-law diane ladd Mm -hmm. is his mother i mean it's like that but then you get to the the weird crux of all the vacation movies and why they're so strange just overall as a series is because the kids have been recast yet again because it's too far down the line (laughs) since the last one so every vacation movie the parents stay the same but the kids are different and it just rusty is aging backwards yeah rusty is now younger than his sister yeah in a way that he was not yeah i i had a thought on that i think i think that's his perception of his kids it's like oh, as yeah. they get older, he sees them as younger. <laughs> yeah, this because is my he misses theory. having kids. This is my theory: is that every vacation movie is actually set in an alternate timeline, so you're seeing different versions of the same family, ah. and so it's all kind of interconnected. And at one point, they'll bring all. Wasn't the- there a com- commercial last year where Chevy Chase interacted with all of the yes. actors who had played Rusty? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. really? I got to look that up mm-hmm. again. Yeah. But anyway. it's just weird. But in this one, it's Johnny Galecki is rusty, and he's so little. It's so strange because this is even before he was in Roseanne. I mean, it's like, I like the first time I saw this, I was like, "That is Johnny Galecki. That is so weird." But then it's yeah. him and uh, and what's her face? Juliette Lewis yeah, is Audrey, and that's just Julian. Yeah, And Juliet Lewis always looks the same. I mean, as I'm watching this, I'm seeing her pregnant going, they don't care about dying, just losing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like I can, I can see her in this one. And then that's all I immediately start thinking of. It's like, oh, like thinking of her in like Cape Fear when she's sucking on De Niro's finger, it like makes me cringe. And then like (laughs) natural born killers is like, I know exactly what's coming in your career. Oh, Mm. good Lord. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. I oh. love her. Oh my god! I there are so many movies I wanted her to star in that just never happened. She didn't have that kind of career, but yeah. fuck, she's awesome. Too bad, too bad. But it's just yeah. But as a Christmas movie, so you're saying, Brian, that this ticks off the boxes as a Christmas movie. That's your thesis. I, I mean, okay. So in the end, a Christmas movie. I think the whole Christmas vibe. Like, there's there's basically two things, right? consumerism 
and everybody come together. It's cold out there. Let's all just get inside and let's appreciate each other for all of our flaws and come together as a family and warmth and home and hearth and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I am not ready for they, Christmas this they year. Call it, not even close. They, yeah. call it the, they call it the spirit of Christmas because it's not real. That's the thing. It's like they always <laughs> they always say basically, let's come back to the meaning of Christmas. What? That, that a baby was born that we're going to nail to a tree in 33 years? What? Yeah. I don't know. But just the fact that they I, 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 I think it's I think Christmas is basically the celebration of look, winter is coming. You're all going to have to stay indoors and you're all going to have to not kill each other. So everybody just calm the hell down and get get over your shit and yeah. get used to each other cuz you're going to be trapped in a house for the next 3 months. Yeah. I yeah, think this... that's where Christmas comes from traditionally. And here's the thing, this movie does that, but it does it with a raw cynicism undercurrent, right? And that's what's missing from so many other Christmas movies. So many Christmas movies yeah. are just the Hallmark Channel treacly home for the holidays horseshit, and they don't have anything for a human like with an actual functioning brain to latch onto. Yeah. At I, least this movie has negativity and frustration and losing your shit and 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 all of that for I people guess, to relate to. But it's unearned. I mean, you yeah. you can say, yeah, it's like Christmas is a cynical, horrible time. Sure, it is. But it, like doing it just by sticking in <laughs> cartoon people and saying it's this way now because that's the way I wrote the movie. That's yeah. that's kind of cheating. I yeah. I am not saying that that other movies are good. I'm saying that this is this is but, by comparison. I can yeah. see why people would pick it out of the pile. But here's the thing: you talk about this being cynical, and I I can see that uh, where you're going with that. But just the year before, they did the Bill Murray movie Scrooged, which is basically just its whole chassis is nothing but cynicism. And then that very end mm-hmm. when he when he turns it on uh, or turns it off. And that is not regarded nearly as warmly as this one. Mm. And I have, have to wonder if it's... watched it recently? It's not great. It's not great. It but, really isn't. But neither is Christmas Vacation is what I'm getting Well, at. consider that the Dickens story is cynicism all the way through. I yeah. still think A Christmas Carol is about an old guy who is threatened with death. And so for the rest of his life decides to like celebrate Christmas so he doesn't go to hell. There's yeah, no change. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just him going, ah, okay, I, uh, uh, two Christmas turkeys for everyone, please don't kill me. Yeah. yeah just, the message of a Christmas carol is don't be a dick, yeah. right? Like, that's basically just don't be a dick. Well, I mean, that's almost the, the message of Christmas Vacation as well. I mean, he's just. So let me come at it this way, because we referenced a Christmas story, right? And I suspect. Check me out on this. I suspect that a lot of what what most people are relating to when they think about Christmas is they're trying to they're chasing the dragon, right? They had a high when they were a kid when mm. Christmas was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and so what they're looking for in a Christmas movie is a thing that makes them feel like that kid again. And the Christmas story does that at least it does i don't know if it does it for anybody younger than our generation it sure should have done it for the boomers i think you're absolutely Um, right i and the thing is i have no identification with that kid's christmas because it's in like the 40s but i i think that is why to this day we go oh christmas is coming yay and then when it's over we go wait a minute that wasn't fun nothing happened wait a minute because (laughs) there wasn't a parent god standing over us telling us you know all this shit that's going to happen and then baking cookies and then santa brings you presents and there's no mystery vacation as you pointed out isn't for you with no kids christmas vacation (laughs) is for the poor people who have to try and create that magical goddamn christmas Mm. for their kids yes and but for me it's clark Griswold wants it so bad and he just gets in his own way. Well, yeah. I mean, I get, I mean, I understand the thesis of the movie. It's just, it's executed just ham fistedly and I just, it annoys me. But, you know, I don't have any connect, like, I, I have connection to Christmas Story for some reason. I just find it a fun, endearing movie. It's quotable, it's got great moments. Whereas Christmas Vacation has got none of that. And I think it's maybe because I grew up in, household with divorced parents so i had to do the split christmas every year Mm -hmm. and so it's Mm -hmm. like you get 
like one mediocre Christmas and one shitty Christmas, but it always flip flops depending on where you go. <laughs> I mean, that that was my Christmas existence forever. And so it's just like I watch this movie and I'm like, why would you want to fuse both those families and everybody hates each other? Like the dinner scene in this thing when the turkeys like just collapses. I'm like, it's so it's so beyond cartoonish. And it just seems to be like right. like nipping at the heels of this is every shitty Christmas you've ever had. But isn't yeah. it funny? It's a lark. It's yeah. like, no, this That's is depressing. True. They're all leftover this, jokes. This, yeah. This movie goes the full Tex Avery, right? Like, it, you know, you've got the, the crazy sled and you've got the squirrel in the tree. Like, it, it goes... <laughs> all the way into cartoon territory. I'm <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah. I am frankly impressed with Clark Griswold's engineering expertise that he could rip a tree out of the ground rather than chop right? it down. I want to know what happened. Well, you know you're in trouble too with that opening scene where he's trying to outrace the truck drivers who are like the rednecks, obviously. Uh, and that right there is a big red flag. It's like, well, let's make fun of the yokels. John Hughes leans into that a lot. But in this one, it's sort of like suddenly... Clark decides he's going to play chicken with him and this and that. And like, it's like, this doesn't pulls have a smoky in the bandit of the yeah. underneath the semi truck. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and like the first five minutes. You're like, Oh, okay. I get it. This is not any sort of real Christmas. This is just, let's crank it to 11 and just be as goofy as fucking possible. And it kind of loses me. So it's just Can I, like, like the I, Christmas story is real, right? But at least <laughs> like that feels real. You know what it's I mean? A it's grounded in reality. Yeah, it's grounded exactly. in reality. Exactly. And, it's, and sort of, it's grounded in enough reality that you go, anything that's weird is this person's memory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Whereas this is just, you know, John Hughes has got a penchant for being pretty mean spirited sometimes with his comedy. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that's on display here. Whereas you look at something like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, where there's still some mean-spiritedness, but by the end of the movie, it's got so much heart to it because they've both come to the realization mm. that he's not such a bad hey. guy after all. You know what I mean? Ah, wait, wait. I just had a thought because you, you're, you're kind of coming back to what I was saying about how all John Hughes movies have that kernel of like emotional reality. Yeah. Maybe his mean-spiritedness is geared towards the bullshit. It's like anything that's false and not real. Yeah, Maybe. fuck you. I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just shit all over you. But <laughs> the the moment of reality, that's the thing that yeah. I'm going to, you know, treat with reverence. So in that regard, maybe Christmas Vacation is an anti-Christmas movie. Hmm. Is that what you're getting at? Because I can see it almost on that level. Hmm. It almost works like that because it's literally like, yeah, all of the the cherry picked memories of the perfect Christmas, and then they all have just basically collapsed on the floor in a puddle of goo in this one. Yeah, I don't even I, think I, it's I well think, done enough to give it that much it. credit. No, yeah. I, I think it's more like okay. no matter how shitty your holiday season is going this year, it could be worse, right? Yeah. So just just calm down. Uh, <laughs> what's missing here, though, like the first vacation. Uh, I still enjoy. It's definitely another one that hasn't aged well, but I mean, Harold Ramis made it. So it's definitely got a lot of that early 80s comedy vibe. But for me, what makes that movie is that right before, right at the end, when the, they're in Phoenix and it's raining and they've dropped off dead Aunt Edna and the family's going, I think we should just call it a day and go home. And Clark just <laughs> loses his ever loving mind and just starts dropping <laughs> F-bombs and yelling at him. He's like, we're yeah. on a quest for fucking fun. And he's just had we went through like, all that and you want to turn around? <laughs> yeah, what is yeah. wrong with you? And that's, my, that's mm-hmm. the moment in that movie where I'm like, yes, that is exactly every dad anywhere. Whereas in this one, it's sort of like that moment never really clicks into place. It's just, it absolutely does. Nah. He has a full-on rant it's, where he's like, we're going to be the happiest Christmas since Danny fucking K, right? Like it just it doesn't ring true to me because it's sort of like I have already seen this. So basically every vacation movie is just Clark building this thing up until it falls apart and he has a breakdown. That's just uh, let's just bring back up Eddy now and we'll have some fun. That's just uh, uh, Okay. Uh, well look, as long as we're about to wrap this up, what is the one Christmas movie you think is good? What is the, the one well, the one where you go? Yep, that's it. Oh, I think yours is a Christmas story, obviously. Yeah. Uh, only yeah, I've seen that so many times, but uh yeah. I will even say that uh White Christmas, as corny as that fucking thing is, uh I catch it every couple of years because I love Danny Kay and Bing Crosby is okay in it, but uh Irving Berlin, you can't go wrong. It just mm. fills me. <clears throat> fills me with joy. How about you, so. Brian? What is your one Christmas movie? 
If I'm going to just pick one, I mean, there's a few that we watch every year, and one of those is Elf. I think yeah. Elf okay. gets me. I got you. Okay, fuck you, John Debney. I don't know what you did with the score, okay? But you get me at the end of Elf every damn time, <laughs> and I... <laughs> damn it. Yeah, no, uh, Elf is... Elf is I, I agree. Also completely silly, but, but heartfelt and fun and Christmassy and all the good things. Yeah, right. Okay, well, my pick would be Die Hard. So thank you for listening to this show this week. You can reach us at Magnificently Huge on Facebook, Mag Huge on Twitter. We're at maghuge.com. We love your suggestions. We always take your suggestions. We, we want to hear what you like. We want to hear that you're listening. Rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you're listening to us on. Smash that like button. Uh, and... Uh, I don't normally do the outro, I, so I don't know how to end I'm gonna, this. I'm going to actually do a weird outro this time, a little programming note, okay? Yeah. The show is going to keep coming to you week after week here in 2021, but but we're going to be bringing you some of our classic holiday content because the Mag Huge crew is taking a break for the holidays. We will be back in January, <laughs> most likely with another one of those big fresh shit extravaganzas because we'll have like a month of stuff we've been watching ca- yeah. you know, built up and then yeah. there'll be time for a topic. So, yeah, it, happy We got to recharge those happy batteries so that we can keep producing all this magic. <laughs> yeah. And the rest of the shows won't be this giant lump of coal like this one in your stocking. <laughs> Check the next one is going to be I'm going to bring back my one about my Christmas songs list cuz I love that stuff. So check that out. We'll see you guys in 2022. Bye. Wubba, wubba, wubba. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs>